Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. I will first pose a question before we begin this evening's class. There seems to still be some question regarding Namita and Upadan aspects of Maya. Should we review those? Yes. Okay. It was good, very nice reviews. So. <laughs> so let's talk about Upadan. There's an easy way to remember the constituent part. Although the the numbering is pretty consistent, still we're, we're speaking about something that's spoken of differently because it's basically Sankhya, the theory of evolution of the, of the planetary elements. It's looked at a little differently, so the numbering is a little different, but we're going to talk the, the consistent presentation, the basis of all the presentations are 24 material elements. So these are the material elements. So the constituents, what makes up matter. The constituent parts are, of course, the five gross elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether. Then there's five offshoots of those that also constitute the the upadon or the material aspect of the material energy. There's the five objects of the senses. And if you talk about Sankhya, basically the objects from the objects of the senses, all the evolution is taking place. So there's there's smelling, there's hearing, there's seeing. So from that Basically, the way it's presented in the Bhagavatam, the evolution is from the desire to smell on the part of the universal form, the actual uh, scent would appear, and then there has to be an ability to for the universal form. Again, the universal form is, is not a true manifestation of the Supreme Lord, but it's referred to as such as basically the samasti or the aggregate of of all that is is there within the material realm and it's used as as a form of meditation for the for the neophyte yogi so he meditates on the universal form because that's what he's familiar with he can't yet conceive beyond the familiarity he has with the material world so he's familiar with what he's experienced in his life, and then that's attributed to a, a form of the Supreme, and that universal form of the Supreme is the basis upon which that mater- the material energy is manifest. So it's a good beginning point for yogic meditation. So you have the objects of the senses, then from the s- objects of the senses, you have you have the actual senses the ability to perceive, you need senses. And those senses come in two forms, senses to acquire knowledge, which are directly related to the objects of the senses, often referred to as tanmatra. So, smelling, hearing, tasting. And then you have also working senses, So five knowledge-acquiring senses, five working senses, five sense objects, 
and five heavy-duty material elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. Now, then we add three other what we might think are, well, these are material elements, elemental, but they are. They are mind, intelligence, and false ego. So, they're very subtle. So, you have the gross material and the subtle material. And also in the subtle, I think you could say what subtle is scent. What subtle is sound. Without the carrier of the sound, the sound itself is subtle. The scent is subtle. Uh, you could also look like that. The subtle sense objects. The taste. Well, for taste to work, you need you need a tongue. And you also need somebody to put the two together. We call that the diva. So you have adiotmic, adiotic, and adidivic. Those three together contribute to our essential experiences within the material realm. So mind, intelligence, and false ego are also there in the Upadon aspect of matter. And then you have another one called Mahat, or sometimes referred to as nature, sometimes referred to as Prakriti. It's counted amongst the 24 because it's all of them. It's the all-encompassing nature. So now we have 24, and then to that, depending on the propounder of the Sankhya philosophy, they'll add the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord, they'll add the Jiva, so now you're up to 26, and then time. Some speak of time, so now you're up to 27. We're talking about the Sankhya philosophy. We've gone past the 24 elements, and now we're talking about the presenters of Sankhya add to this differently as to whether they include the Jiva or not, whether they include the Supreme Lord or not, whether they include time or not. Now let's talk about Nimitta, the causal aspect. And Jivas introduce different verses and through a series of Anachetas spoken of that aspect of material nature as being different. The same and different. So the first one, which is kind of easy to understand, is time itself. Time is that agitating element which gets the material energy working. But there's other things that are considered causal. So I want to go through the list of causal by reading a few things from the Anuchetas that we read in this regard and their commentary. Both Prakriti and Purusha manifest from Brahman or Paramatma. This is made explicit in the next verse, referring here to a verse of the Bhagavatam from the 11th canto. Here Prakriti refers to the Upadan, or constituent part of Maya, Prakriti, matter. Although the Purusha is not part of Maya, the residual karmic or destiny, Daiva, of the Purusha is Maya's Namita, or instrumental part. It is to show 
these two divisions of Maya that Sri Jiva has cited, these four verses from the 11th canto. The, verses from, the verse from Vishnu Purana makes the same point even more explicit. Here again, Prakriti refers to the Upadan part of Maya and the Purusha's conditioned state, Purusha here meaning the Jiva, the Jiva is a Purusha within the material realm. He has some, some action. He is an agent of action. So he's referred to as Purusha. Remember from the very beginning of the whole thing, we had two Shetrajnas. We had one field of action and two Shetrajnas. So here again, Prakriti refers to the Upadan part of Maya and the Purusha conditioned state implies Nimitta part. In the following Anucheta, Sri Jiva cites additional Praman about the two divisions of Maya. I've gone through all the different Anuchedas and just grabbed those parts that spoke specifically about the Mitta aspect of material nature. So now is something from Sridhar Swami. Time, Kala, is the precipitator. Previous action, Karma, is the instrumental cause, Namita. The same Karma, when manifest as on the verge of delivering its fruit, is called Daiva or Destiny. So it's a different way, and I don't want to go into in depth everything we've gone over, but I just want to review these two aspects of Maya. Innate disposition, Swabhava, goes on to, to, to refer to Swabhava as Namita. So now we have time, and now we've kind of added the element of karma. So Paramatma, of course, Krishna himself says he's time. He's that time energy, that Shakti. And here we have, as Nimitta, also the, the Swabhava, the karma, uh, the karma that's just about to manifest, uh, referred to as differently, but here referred to as on the verge, daiva, destiny. It's about to come, karma. So it's also an, a, an instrumental part. So daiva is destiny. In other words, it's in your cards. It's coming your way, coming to a, to a reaction on your calendar soon. <laughs> that's daiva. Innate disposition, Swabhava, and Swabhava is like you're inclined to act in a certain way based on prior impressions. Now, you can change that based on, you take birth based on the way you've, you've acted <coughs> in the past and, and your, your desires of how you want to act in the future. Then from another Anucheta, we take the following. In this verse, Kala, time, Daiva, okay, destiny, Karma and Swabhava are the Nimitta, instrumental part of Maya, or the extrinsic energy, Bahiranga Shakti. The rest are the Upadad part, the constituent ingredients. But the Jiva who possesses all these properties, Tadvan, is made up of both. A part of the instrumental potency, Nimitta Shakti, also proceeds correspondingly into the set of constituent ingredients, Upadan. So now we talk about a subtle relationship here. Such as the I-consciousness, Ahambhava, 
of the jiva entering into the element called aham, which characterizes the limitation, upadi, of the jiva. So a limitation on who you think you are, false ego, that's your eye consciousness. Some more regarding the same subject. The instrumental, nimitta, and constituent, upadana, components of maya are being specified in the verse. Time is that which unsettles the equilibrium of prakriti. Karma refers to the meritorious or unmeritorious deeds, and daiva or destiny is the outcome of these actions. Swabhava or innate disposition is the unmanifest state of daiva. Unmanifest state of daiva. So we we talked before a little bit about the fact that the chitta, an impression on the on the unconscious part, carries with us. We don't even know it's there, but we have we have certain impressions that have that come to us from our prior involvement in material nature. So those those are like burnt into our ourself. It's something we're not even aware of. But we have a certain disposition. We act in a certain way based on how we've interacted with nature. So, swabhava or innate disposition is the unmanifest state of daiva. Destiny. It's unmanifest yet. Unmanifest state of daiva. Unmanifest state of destiny. doesn't have to become manifest. You can change it. Basically, you have an inclination. You're given a body based on those inclinations. You, your set material nature has put you in an environment based on those inclinations. Now, Krishna talks about that a little in the Gita, doesn't he? He says, for those that don't complete, then they then they they're given a chance to continue in their devotional attitude that they've picked up. So what happens? They're born into a wealthy family so they don't have to struggle with material nature day in and day out just to eat. And pious, coming into into a situation where they're mode of goodness. Together these four constitute the instrumental nimitta part of prakriti. So now we're saying four things. Four aspects. Karma. Daiva, Swabhava. So three of those are related to where we've been and where we're going. And one is time, which is... The jiva or conditioned self is here said to include both nimitta and upadana because it is delimited by both gross and subtle bodies. The the nimitta part of the form of daiva, karma, and Swabhava is located within the subtle body. Mind, intelligence, and false ego is where those things are carried, which is a product of upadan part of the constituent part is carrying the the causal. Kala, time, influences both gross and subtle. The ankar, which is a material element, is the upadan karna, the constituent cause. The ahamvriti, which is the sense of doership predominated by one of the three gunas of maya, is the nimitta karna, the instrumental cause. The ahamvriti is within a hankar like an electric current in a wire. So a little bit of an analogy that you're carrying the sense, your sense of self 
in your false ego. Your sense of self is the mitta, the causal, and it's like electricity carried in a in a wire. The wire is material constituent false ego. Another explanation. The namitta part of maya should here be considered in the following way. That energy which in its capacity as the effective cause, namitta, is properly known as the appellation. We generally, we generally refer to it as maya and is seen to have three dimensions. Knowledge, will, and action. Thinking, feeling, and willing. These Three are also referred to as the as the causal ingredients or the causal aspect of the material energy. Uh, and then we will finish with Bhagavan's personal words on this from the eleventh canto. He speaks of the first two functions of the nimitta part of Maya. In a verse to Uddhava, O Uddhava, know that knowledge, vidya, and ignorance, avidya, are my two forms, energy created by my maya. They are beginningless and cause the bondage and release of embodied beings. There's knowledge and there's ignorance. And these two functions are, so now you have a general overview of both the material constituent part, upadana, and namitta, which can be looked at differently from Krishna's instructions to Uddhava, just saying it's knowledge and ignorance. Here we're talking about material knowledge, not spiritual knowledge. It's knowledge and ignorance, or we can go with it's time, it's karma, it's destiny, it's innate disposition. Above. Any questions? We'll go on to this evening's Anuchetas. This is a series, another series of Anuchetas, and Jiva in this series is still dealing with any loose ends regarding the nature of looking at the manifestation of the material energy as an illusion. So he's not done yet. <laughs> he still has more to say on this. So it is very important for us to take all of these various arguments and presentations from Jiva Goswami's Paramatmas and Dharva, understand first of all their significance in the fact that you need to see things in a proper perspective. You need to see the the fact that uh, you know the material manifestation is is a parinama fad. It is a, a it is a, a manifestation of the Lord Shakti, whereby He can effect have an effect on one of his potencies and not be affected. And if we want to if we want to 
properly understand cause and effect, we have to understand it in light of all this different evidence that Jiva Goswamis put forth. Otherwise, we can come to a well, we won't have a, a comprehensive understanding to begin with, and we can be affected in our understanding by the fact that we don't have the fine discrimination to see a difference between being illusioned by the immaterial energy and the material energy being an illusion. So that's the distinction that really we're looking at. We need to understand that Maya does have the capacity to bewilder us, but Maya in and of itself is not bewildered and is not an illusion. So we'll go through these anachetas a little bit. I'll try to get to the... Can you repeat that? Can I repeat what? What I just said. Okay. What, what The point that we need to walk away with is the fact that w while we are within the Lord's external energy, Maya, when we're be we can be bewildered by that Maya. And some would call that bewilderment an illusion. We're, we're taking this body as our self. That's illusion number one. Krishna dis, dis, tries to dissipate that one in the second chapter in his discussion in Bhagavad Gita with Arjuna. Know that you're not this body. For the soul, there's neither birth nor death, nor having once been, does he ever cease to be. He is unborn, undying, ever existing, eternal. He's not slain when the body is slain. That's where we need to begin. So in the material world, everybody thinks they're the body. <coughs> there's a whole class of people who've come to the human form of life, of living entities, who even within the material body think that death is the end. It's the that you have one life, it's the be all and end all of your existence, and when that life's gone, you're gone. You're void. You're, that's what's it. It's over. Pulled the plug. It's like there's nothing left and you're not going anywhere else. So within the material energy we could be illusioned. But that doesn't mean the material energy itself is an illusion. The material energy is a valid Shakti of the Supreme that can be wilderness. It's like an expert magician. He can, he can pull off all kinds of things, but the fact is, he really exists. And the cards that he's showing you really exist. Now the fact that he made the cards look like they were a different card or did some sleight of hand and you, you're just like, wow, how did you turn all the aces into kings? How do you do that? Well, that's Maya has the capacity to illusion you. That doesn't mean that, her, that she's not real and it doesn't mean that what is in this world isn't real. But we can see it as something that it isn't. That's the that's that's her shakti. Okay. You were just saying that she's not illusion, but she has the ability to create illusion. Right. 
And that's the important point that Jiva's really pounding the post here. Because there is a there is a there is a transcendental school wherein they think this whole material manifestation is here today and gone tomorrow. They think when you become liberated, well, you've turned off the material world. No, you can become liberated. It's still there left for everybody else. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. You can leave, but it's not leaving. So that's really the point being stressed here in so many ways mm. and repeatedly. So we'll begin with the Anachetas. Therefore, although the universe, consisting of the intellect and so on, remember the last Anachetta was about intellect and its different stages, waking, dreaming, deep sleep, and the fourth. The fourth means you can experience a spiritual energy, a shakti of the supreme. So that's special. So we talk about the three, and the intellect is related to that. And we also saw a nice correlation between those four and the Chaturvyuha. So, although the universe consisting of the intellect and so on exists within Paramatma, he does not, as a consequence, have any contact with it. It is said, and now there is a, a verse from the 12th canto that Jiva Goswami cites. Just as clouds sometimes appear and sometimes disappear in the sky, so this universe, which is a whole inclusive of, inclusive of parts, sometimes appears and sometimes disappears in Brahman, because it has a beginning, Udaya, and an end, Apyaya. And Jiva gives a little commentary here. Clouds are a transformation of the elements air, fire, water, and smoke, which is a portion of the earth element. And these elements are in turn evolutes of the sky or space. So just as clouds appear or become visible in the sky through the manifestation of their own composite holes and disappear through the dissolution of their composite holes, doing so without touching the sky, in the same way this world appears and disappears in Brahman. This is how the verse is to be syntactically arranged. He goes on. Avayavi, Avayavi, a whole inclusive of parts, means the universe in its gross form, Udaya, the inception of the universe, refers to the be beginning, I'm sorry, refers to being manifested by the glance of the supreme person, Purushottama. Apyaya means it, its opposite, the dissolution caused by Paramatma's closing his eyes. Thus the universe exists in subtle form during the dissolution period because of the existence of its cause, Paramatma, who is qualified with the potency of the universe. This indeed was previously stated in an earlier Anacheta. Time is the manifester of this reality, the universe.
So this is, as I said, from the way I'm seeing the presentation of the Paramatma Sandarbha at this section, in these, at this point, uh, this is a lead into a few anachetas to really hope bring out even more uh, convincingly that we can't see the universe as an illusion. So it begins here. Well, first of all, the universe is manifest and unmanifest. And this is very important because Jiva is going to again revisit this whole idea of cause and effect. Sat Karyavad. And as, a, as, opposed to, as opposed to Vivartavad. Now remember, Sat Karyavad is that a real, something that's real can have, a real cause can have a real effect. And they are related. The cause and the effect are related. So there's going to be some verses here that are a little bit uh, you know, the, the way this is presented in Scripture is, is not direct. It's not like in a row. It's, it's, it's presented in a very unique manner uh, by, throughout the text. And Jiva's going to draw those verses in. So first he's drawing this in that understand that Paramatma can manifest material nature just as and not be affected by it just as within the sky there can manifest clouds but the clouds don't affect the sky so it's an opening verse so to speak goes on the next Anucheta <clears throat> To corroborate this, Sri Sukha establishes the existence of the cause through an example. So now we've said that the cause, now we draw from the twelfth canto. Dear King, in this world the part of a Yava, of every whole possessing parts of a Yavi, has been declared to be real. In this world the part part of every whole, bigger thing, part of every whole, uh, has been declared to be real. So if you have a real whole, you have a real part of the whole. Okay. This is due to the fact that parts are seen to exist even in the absence of the whole unit. Makes sense. And an example is given to, to bring it home. Just as a thread exists even when there is no cloth. Now Jiva explains it, the verse. He explains it himself in his own words. The part of all gross objects that contains parts is their cause, and it is said to be real. That is, it exists without exception. This can be observed in the world as shown in the second half of the verse. The word artha here means the gross form without which the part or cause exists, as even without the cloth, the thread exists. 
a couple things. The existence of the cause is not dependent upon the effect. A cause exists even in the absence of its manifest effect. It goes both ways. The cause exists even when it doesn't manifest an effect. If you have an effect, the existence of a cause is not dependent upon the effect. All these pieces of, of logic will... By negative inferential, by negative inference, insight, uh, vyati reka, sukha establishes that the effect also exists in the cause, but he does it negatively. Whatever is perceived, this is from the twelfth canto, according to its universal or particular characteristics is an illusion. Whatever is perceived according to its universal or particular characteristics is an illusion. So the word that's that's really important here is samanya. Universal. So this word has to be fully understood because whatever is perceived according to its universal and what that universal is that Sukadev's referring to is the universal of Brahman. Not as the Shakti of Paramatma, but as Brahman. Whatever is perceived according to the universal, and the Sanskrit word is Samanya, or particular, Visesha, characteristics is an illusion. Sukadev's saying that if you're seeing Brahman as a cause and you're not seeing it properly, then you're bewildered. It really doesn't exist. The universal, the universal doesn't exist as Brahman within the material manifestation. That's really what Sukadev's saying here to Maharaj Pariksit. Because it's really the Vavartavad that's, that's, that's there, that they think Brahman is modified, but Brahman can't be modified, so the world is an illusion. So Sukadeva say, you're right. It's, you're right. That way of thinking isn't right. It, the world doesn't exist that way. So it's a, it's a negative, he goes through, there's a negative inference. Um, what does the particular refer to? Because he says it's not the universal or particular. So it seems like that pretty much covers everything. All right, I'm going to read this and then we'll unpack it. This is Jiva's explanation. The sense is as follows. If one argues that the universe did not previously exist, even in its subtle causal form, but that universality... Samanya alone existed, meaning pure Brahman, and that alone was transformed by the causal potency into a specific form, Vishesha, namely that of the universe, then this is incorrect. 
This is because whatever is perceived according to its universal, unqualified, or particular qualified form is an illusion. That is to say, vivarta vad. You can't look at them separately. They're codependent, so to speak. Cause and effect. Codependent in the fact that they're both real. That's the sense here. They're both real. They're both satya. According to the Vavartavad, this completes the paragraph, theory, pure Brahman alone appears as the universe through the potency of ignorance. This is not acceptable to us because Parinamabad is based on the prior existence of a real effect in potential form in its real cause. Satkarya Vad. So it's not as hard to understand. But I was thinking about it and, and one way you can look is what's Jiva really doing here? We, we hold a theory that was given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a chinta, beta, beta, tattva. And what Jiva's doing is he's explaining a chinta. He's really letting us get a glimpse that if you use fine discrimination and you have good guidance, a chinta is not inconceivable. It's conceivable from the spiritual viewpoint. It's conceivable to understand these things in a very comprehensive way. Can you fully, absolutely, always understand every? No, but with good guidance, you can accept that the Lord is and is not the material creation. You can learn how he interacts you can learn what is his, what's his various shaktis. So the inconceivable can become conceivable. Can it be fully comprehended? It can be comprehended as much as we need to, to develop some detachment. And all this detailed knowledge assists us in developing a sense of detachment. We're really diving into what is maya and when you see her for what she is, you realize it's not a lot there. Although it appears to be this great, grandiose... Any questions? It's just beyond our... Just because it's beyond us, beyond our capacity to understand doesn't mean it's not real. We can understand it. That's what I'm asking. Gormash, I just heard Gormash say that it's inconceivable but understandable, which is what Duol said. We can't, you know, we might not be able to conceive of things, put everything within inside our mind, but that doesn't mean that we can't understand it and understand how it works. That's why we're, that's why we're having these classes, so we can understand things, but it doesn't mean that we'll be able to have a conception of it in its entirety within 
our mind. Okay. Just to add one thing to what she said, even the great sadhus, the great devotees, even in their commentaries, they point out that those cons- the the way that the supreme absolute truth is viewed, and even the way that the different different philosophies are viewed, doesn't always have to be in complete harmony between one sadhu and another, and it doesn't mean that either one of them is wrong. That's inconceivable. (laughs) They can both be fully right and both have a difference of opinion as to what Krishna meant in this instance or that instance or what what one Leela was meant to portray as opposed to another Leela especially from the viewpoint of different loving relationships with the Lord. They're all going to be different. Just as when Krishna entered the wrestling arena, everybody saw him differently according to where they were spiritually or what relationship they were developing with him or had with him. So it's inconceivable, but it's understandable. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.